We're continuing through the Sermon on the Mount, and tonight we're looking at a passage in uh, Matthew 6. Why don't I read that before we pray? This is Jesus speaking. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you have gathered us tonight uh, in your name, and we ask that you would speak to us. Uh, it's a little bit of a confusing passage, and so we ask, um, as we do every week, that you would send your Holy Spirit to dig out ears for us and to give us eyes to see that we might see Jesus as more lovely and more believable than we thought when we already came in. We pray this in his name. Amen. So have you guys seen uh, the movie Taken, Liam Neeson's Taken, right? You know what I'm talking about? The general premise is this CIA, I guess, you know, ex-operative who has special skills to uh, do like ninjas, ninja, what's it? I don't know. Somebody kidnaps his daughter, right? And <laughs> kidnaps his daughter, sells her to be a sex slave, and Liam Neeson finds her. The whole movie is just like blowing people up left and right, and he finds her. And he finds the ringleader who has just sold his daughter to somebody else. And so the ringleader says, would you mind telling me what you're doing here? And he says, the last girl, I'm her father. And he says, oh my. And he says, give her to me. And the ringleader says, I wish I could, honestly. See, I'm a father myself. I have two sons and a daughter. But let me tell you something, Mr. Whoever you are. This is a business. This is a very unique business with very unique clientele. And her father says, I'll pay. He says, in this business, you have no refunds, no returns, no discounts, no buybacks. All sales are final. Besides, discretion is about the only rule we have. And so you, you watch this scene, and um, well, what's he saying? He's saying, I'm two things. I, I'm a businessman and a family man, and I've managed to sort of manage both of those, to which we watch in horror in the audience and say, no, you are no business, a monster. In Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, he's teaching us what it looks like to live in his kingdom. He's teaching us what... His kingdom, how it functions, uh, how we operate in it, and how we relate to Him as our King. You see, kingdom life is all-encompassing. There's no such thing as your regular part of the week and your spiritual part of the week, your regular part of life and your spiritual part of life, your Jesus Church RUF life and everything else. Actually, everything is seen through the grid that Jesus is the king of all of life. And he's shown us that he's, he's concerned about even our private spiritual lives, how we pray, how we fast. He says, don't be like the Pharisees. And now he's showing us he's concerned with our public life, 
how we relate to money, our very desires, our goals in life. And next week, he's going to talk about our food and clothing and anxiety. Jesus has attacked religious hypocrisy, this idea that, well, we care, frankly, about more about how people see us than how God sees us. So what Jesus is saying is the way of the kingdom is altogether different from the legalistic Pharisee types. It's altogether different from the irreligious Gentile types. What he's saying is if you're, if you're religious, your temptation is to be a hypocrite. Your temptation is to care more about what others think of you than what God thinks of you. And he says, no, no, no. You actually can only be rightly related to God based on my merits based on what I have done for you. I have to earn the Father's approval for you. And if you're irreligious, you have the temptation to think, well, I can take care of all of my needs by myself. And what ties these two themes together is it's, they're both self-centered. What matters most to me is how others see me. What matters most to me is how I take care of myself. Jesus says, the way of the kingdom is altogether different. Everything is under your king. And you need to care how you relate to the Father through Jesus, and you need to understand that I take care of you. So don't be like either. So here's a question. If this way is altogether unique, Jesus wants us to start asking this question to ourselves. What is it that we then want for ourselves? What exactly are our ambitions for the future? What are we living for? What are you living for? What am I living for? And Jesus presents a series of twos here. We've got two treasures and two eyes. And we've got two masters. In verses 19 through 21, Jesus asks the question this way. Where are you laying up your treasures? Where are you banking? Are you banking here? Or are you banking in heaven? To put it another way, whose kingdom are you seeking? The kingdom of your heavenly Father or your own kingdom here and now? And notice what Jesus isn't doing. He's not disregarding treasures altogether. He's not saying desires are bad, cast them aside. He's not saying treasures are bad, don't think about those. He's saying, are you concerned with the right ones, the really valuable ones? C.S. Lewis's very famous quote goes like this. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. Jesus isn't saying, so now stop with the treasures. He's saying, no, instead lay them up in heaven. That's what I want you to do. The problems with treasures on earth are obvious. They decay, right? Moth and rust, or they get taken from us. They get stolen. We lose them. Uh, the, most, the first thing I thought about with this was I care about technology, I care about my phone, um, my died, right? I got, got to the point, the battery would only last 90 minutes. I finally buy a new phone. And in that first month, I dropped it and shattered the screen. 
These things that matter, that are shiny and new, are not shiny and new for long. One of my best friends, uh, one of my pledge brothers, college roommates, uh, when he was being converted, he wrestled with this very idea. This was, was powerful for him. And we, we talked about this as he was basically coming to faith. He said, do you remember uh, Emily, this girl that was, ran in social circles with us? And I said, yeah. And he said, do you remember the car she got when we were freshmen? I said, yeah, she got that new Mercedes. It was a big deal like in our, in our group. She, she pulled up to our fraternity house with this brand new shiny Mercedes. And it, that was the news. Like for a while, Emily and her Mercedes. He says, yeah, so flash forward like five years, and he's in this uh, relationship, a really toxic relationship um, with this girl, and she's got a brand new Lexus. And they run into Emily, who now has a four- or five-year-old Mercedes, and they catch up, ha, ha, ha. And then he and his girlfriend drive off in her new Lexus, and she just, like, destroys Emily. She's like, can you believe the car she's driving how old that car is. What is that, four, five years old? Like, that's ridiculous. And he said he, he just couldn't believe the conversation he was having. He was like, the very car that like gave her acclaim just a few years ago was now the reason that there was like disdain offered in her way. Like, not only was her car over the hill, but her reputation, her popularity was over the hill. And it was amazing because he was saying, I mean, I want new cars. I want nice stuff. And he was like, but then you've just got to keep it up because it decays. It gets old. And it, he wrestled with this as part of what brought him to faith. Tomorrow's, today's star is tomorrow's has been. And that's what Jesus is saying. He knows it very well. You can get the shiniest new thing and it will be nothing in a few years. The thing that you're longing for right now will be nothing in a few years. You see, Jesus is saying what Eastern religions, what aestheticism goes with is, is, is wrong. Desire, get rid of desire. Forget about treasures. You don't need any of that. That's the problem, actually. He says, that's not the problem. You need stronger desires. You need better treasures. And Peter, who would have been sitting here when Jesus is teaching, writes in his first letter, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable and undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Jesus is saying, when you bank in heaven, the treasures don't get old. They don't rust. They don't get stolen. They're kept for you. When you bank on Jesus in heaven, your treasures are immovable, unlike anything that you want here. And here's the thing. We've talked about this recently. Heavenly treasures, I don't think we're supposed to think of heavenly stuff, like heavenly gold and heavenly crowns and heavenly whatever. We're supposed to think of heavenly Jesus. Jesus says, I offer you myself, my life, my death, my resurrection on behalf of you. I will give you me. And I will never leave you. And I will never get old. And I will never feel stale to you one day in heaven. You will have me forever. 
Because when Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, what he's saying is, I want your heart. I want your heart. I came to give myself for you, and I want, I'm giving you my heart. I want you to give me your heart. And there, where your treasure is in heaven with me is where your heart will be, and I will have it. And you will have me. Now, I think I should say, God's not saying, Jesus is not saying that possessions are inherently wrong, that wealth is inherently bad. He would never say that. What he's saying is, do you see what you long for and what you have through the lens that you have a king? Do you understand that all that belongs to you belongs to your king? Do you understand that you have a new purpose in life because you have a king? And so we've got an option between two treasures. Will we treasure treasures here? We treasure Jesus. How do you know what you're pursuing? Obviously, earthly possessions are not inherently bad. right? This is because Jesus is the maker of all things. But Jesus is saying, you know what you're pursuing. You know what you long for based on, well, your eyes. You've got two eyes here, right? Your eyes are the lamp of the body. What are you looking at? It's a metaphor, right? What are you thinking on? What is your mind set on? What does your heart want? What is the direction of your life? He says, if your eyes are healthy, then your whole body will be full of light. If your eyes are bad, then your whole body will be full of darkness. And what's that language? Then he doubles down right after that. And if then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. If you fix your eyes on the wrong thing, it brings great darkness in your life. And I think what he's saying is ultimately it brings great darkness at the day of judgment. If you treasure the wrong things, if you long for the wrong things, you'll be filled with darkness. The day of, dar- day of judgment will be darkness. If we fix our eyes on anything or anyone other than Jesus will be left empty. And and I think what that means is that what what should be most important to us, loving God, loving each other, when our gaze is askew, when we're looking at the wrong thing, the wrong person, the wrong stuff, the values of loving God and loving others fall by the wayside. They're no longer primary. Our purpose in life is skewed, it's wrong, it's broken. Instead of living and loving for God's kingdom, we're living and loving for our own kingdom. John, uh, the Apostle John, who also would have been here, writes in his letter, whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. When we fix our eyes on Jesus, we can't help but love Him and love those who are made in His image. When we take our eyes off of Him, we live for ourselves. Paul says in Colossians 3, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek, right, pursue, fix your eyes on the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, 
set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Jesus ends this section, he says, you can't have two masters. You're either going to hate one and love the other, you're going to devote yourself to one and despise the other. You can't love God and money. Now you might be thinking, Joe, this is really silly because we're still in college, so none of us actually have any money of our own yet, right? I don't have any money. And yet you can still serve money and not have it. You can still be fixated on it and not have any of your own. Why would we, why would we serve money? Because we want it. Why do we want it? In many ways, this is obvious, right? Money is freedom. You can go on vacations and get where you want to go and afford to get there. That's awesome. I'd like to be able to afford more of those. Money, in many ways, offers power. Social power, political power. People treat you differently when you have money. Right? I mean, have you ever been with somebody that has money and found that just by being with this person, they treat you differently? Or you've been somewhere and you dress nicer than you normally dress, and it's like, well, thank you very much. I like this. I could get used to this. I will wear a suit everywhere I go. I'm going to need a new car because they can see what I'm getting into. Money brings respect. It often brings social invitations. And why is it that the jobs that you long for, the dream job, what is it? For most of us, it's a job that pays well, that affords me a lifestyle that I want to live. We long for that. Again, none of this is inherently wrong. I mean, how else are you going to give money to RUF one day when you're making money, right? If you're not making enough to share, it's easy, right? Go make money. Just don't serve it. And how do you know if you're serving it? How do you know if your gaze is so fixed on money or power or freedom that it's no longer on Jesus? Or maybe because it was never on Jesus. When you find yourself too busy for things like the Bible or for things like prayer or for things like worship and spending time with other Christians, if you're simply too busy your gaze has shifted. Uh, when you find yourself too busy to serve others, maybe your gaze has shifted. Now, obviously, busy weeks happen. Right? It's, it is wise and responsible in some weeks to do nothing but work your tail off because things have to get done. That's, that's just sort of a rule for life. There's, there's an ebb and a flow. But what happens when every week you're saying, next week, if I can just get through this week, next week will be better, but you say that every week. Next week's going to, I'm going to do this next, I don't know, maybe when I grab, maybe when I have a family, maybe when I have kids, I'm finally going to have enough time to read the Bible. You know, our gaze is askew. There's, there's a time for busyness in life. There's a time for crazy weeks. But if every week is so crazy that you don't have margins in your life, you may have fixed your gaze on someone else. You may have set your treasures here on earth and not in heaven. Here's the thing. Jesus says, 
if you fix your gaze somewhere else, you'll be filled with darkness. And even if you get what you want, it can be taken from you. It will get old. It will not be shiny as it once was. Jesus says, contrary to what you tell yourself, what I tell myself, you can't serve two masters. You can't serve Jesus and the perfect life. You can't serve Jesus and your kingdom. What are you devoted to? What am I devoted to? When you think about your dreams for the future, where you want to be in five years, and 10 years, and 20 years, where is Jesus in that? And if Jesus isn't in that vision of your future for yourself, ask yourself why. If my dream for who I am in five years or 10 years or 20 years is not somebody who's learning to follow Jesus more closely and serve in his kingdom, or if it's just, well, I'll have a family and a house and a car that drives and hopefully some cash in the bank, all good things. But when you dream of your future, if Jesus isn't there, he's not your treasure. Because when you think about what you want for yourself in the future, it's another way of saying, where are your eyes fixed? Is your whole body full of light? Or is it a dark future without Jesus? A rich young ruler once came to Jesus and said, how do I get eternal life? And Jesus says, well, you know the commandments, right? Love God, love your neighbor. And he says, oh, sure, yeah, I do that. And he says, well, then you really need to go and do one more thing. You need to sell your stuff and give them to the poor. And, and he, he walks away dejected. I can't do that. And the, the point of that story isn't that everyone should sell everything they have and give to the poor, but the point is, can we hold on to the treasures in this life loosely? Or do we hold on to them so tightly? When you're following Jesus, you, of course you can still have stuff. He knows what we need. That's what next week's all about. But you can also let it go. The poor people in your life become more important than the perfect 401k. That's a few years from now. How about this? The people who aren't as bright as you become more important than a perfect 4.0. There's room in your margins to care for and serve others because you're not hanging on so tightly to your kingdom and your vision of your future that doesn't have Jesus in it. We've got to fix our eyes on Jesus. Now hear me, this is important. The only way to do this, to fix your eyes on Jesus, you're like, how do I do this? Tell me how to do this. Here's how. You have to be filled with thankfulness and gratitude, the purest emotion there is, that he has first fixed his eyes on you. You hear me? How do you fix your eyes on Jesus? You've got to be convinced and thankful that he has first set his eyes on on you. What do you mean, Joe? You know what I mean. Philippians 2 says this, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, 
did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus is telling us in the Sermon on the Mount, you can't have two masters. You can't serve God and serve money. And he made us so he can tell us what, how it is. But do you understand that he himself understands this kind of decision? For us, it's God or money. For him, it was man or glory. Now think about this. Jesus existed eternally. He simply was in glory with the Father and the Holy Spirit forever, perfect glory, and came to a decision, I will keep my glory, I will hold it tightly, or I will let it go and become human in order to redeem sinful people to myself. He could have kept it. It was rightfully His. Or he could become human and die on a cross. But because his eyes were fixed right on us, for his glory, I know, but they were fixed on us, he chose us because he treasures us. When he says, look, it's, it's me or it's money. It's me or it's your kingdom. Fix your eyes on me or something else, but it can't be both. When he says that, it feels like sacrifice to us. Mm. If I could hopefully get a lot more cash in the bank, or, or I like my idea of the kingdom, or my way of living is simply more fun or whatever, it feels like sacrifice. But he tells us it's not, because money, fame, power, it's not going to last. It's temporary. But Jesus will last. But here's the thing. Choosing God over money is not a real sacrifice for us. Choosing us over glory is a real sacrifice for Him. Tremendous sacrifice. And Jesus does not consider His own glory something to be held onto tightly, but to be let go of, so that we would learn to let go of our own treasures. He fixed His eyes on us so that we would learn to fix our eyes on Him. Because unless he draws near to us first, we won't ever pursue him. We won't ever look to him. He can loosen his grip on glory, then we can loosen our grip on money and our kingdoms. So how do we fix our eyes on Jesus? How do we learn to treasure him? We've got to grow in the conviction and thankfulness that he has already set his eyes on his own treasure, us. And by faith alone in Jesus... We understand we're his treasure, and he becomes our treasure. And as simple as that sounds, it actually has the power to change everything. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the giver of good gifts, and we are sorry that we love them more than we love you sometimes. Uh, maybe we have always loved them more than you, And we thank you that you sent your son Jesus to let go of his glory to redeem us. And so we ask that that reality would fill us with thankfulness and gratitude 
and wonder and awe as we learn to fix our eyes on Him, to set our treasure in Him. Deliver us from temptation, we pray. Amen. Let's sing.